Hello, and welcome to episode three of Two Teachers Talking with me, M. And me, M. I mean, we might as well drop that now because the anonymity was thrown out the window on week two by you, but we'll just keep it going for now. It was, it was. Um, just a bit of a, a quick update. This was my fault. Uh, last week, I was giving out contact details and I was absolutely heartbroken to find we'd had no one in touch until, of course, I realised I had given out the wrong details. Um, so the actual email you need is two teachers talking six at gmail.com. The devil's in the detail. Absolutely. It's not, I know it's not overly professional just to have the number six at the end, but it's just two teachers talking, same as it was, just all words, but then the six is the number. So two teachers talking six at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch. We very much would look forward to some feedback. Um, I think we, I've had a look at our analytics. We're about over 100 listeners now. Um, and then, as I was mentioning to you, that might, that's not just... Uh, individual didn't realise you had such a large family really <laughs> and that many friends yeah. um, but it's, it's, that could be a number of people listening on the same device so I'm, I'm quite pleased I, and someone from the US someone from America you're quite someone right. um, yeah cross the pond yeah absolutely yes hello to any American listener I'm sure they wouldn't have come back <laughs> <laughs> they, they have no idea what either of us are saying or what at all um, so today our two topics I'd like to start with the homework I gave you, which was mm-hmm. the film Grave of the Fireflies, directed by Asao Takahata, 1988, a Studio Ghibli piece. Now, I just want to start with your initial reactions when I told you about it. So all you knew from me was when I told you it was an animated film. Yeah. And then when I gave it to you, I noticed obviously on the DVD, you noticed it was animated, an anime, Japanese anime. So what were your initial reactions? Don't, before you've seen it, even if they're negative, what were you thinking in your head? Honestly, mm. negative. Yep. Uh, anime is not my thing. Okay. Uh, and I definitely approached it with a with a cynicism. I mean, my understanding of anime goes as far as sort of like Dragon Ball Z. Oh, and, that's what uh, And sort of Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I'll be honest, I wasn't looking forward to that one. Okay, so you weren't looking forward to it now. Um, as I mentioned last week, it is my favourite animated film. When you, let's just go with initial reactions, when you first watched it, because you watched it twice, actually. I did. Once without subtitles, which I find amazing in, in the Japanese. Yeah. What were your thoughts instantly when you'd watched it that first time without subtitles? Just what were your initial thoughts from the film? Well, I watched it in Japanese without subs, um, as my initial approach. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to see how the, the score and the animation sort of added added to the story. I felt like if I watched it straight away with subs, I would just be trying to pick up on the sort of storyline and sort of the, my anal- analytical skills as an English teacher, trying to sort of like pick up on sorts of hidden metaphors. Okay. Um, my opinion on it changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. It, it, it took 10 minutes and I was sort of like watching it going like, where's this going? Okay, mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. this? Oh, the, is that a little cliche? And um, and actually, I changed. I really changed my opinion on it. And then I had to go back and watch it again mm. with the subtitles to sort of see if I'd got the right end of the stick with with what what I'd seen and whether or not I'd figured out the storyline. Mm-hmm. Which luckily I had. <clears throat> okay, interesting. I don't want to offer too many spoilers. And obviously, if you haven't seen the film, now would be a good chance. Probably just skip the next sort of thirteen, fourteen minutes. Listen to the second half, don't go away, but watch the film for yourself because it is fantastic. Yeah. But just in terms of the content then, because obviously it is quite a disturbing film. It's a World yeah. War Two film, but set um, in Japan, but from the yeah. perspective of two very young children who go through some, obviously, some fairly horrendous things. Yeah. Uh, neither of them survive through the end of the film. Yeah. Do we think, in terms of that content, uh, do you think that this film handled it sensitively, not explo- in terms of exploitation? Did it manage to 
tell the story as well as put the message across in a way that you found convincing without being uh, over the top? Yeah, for sure. And what I'd say about that is clearly, and the easiest way to describe this is that this is uh, a clear message about the futility of war, mm. but it does it in such a way where it's actually optimistic for hu- for humanity as well. Which you know, I'll put, I have made notes here, so yeah, I'm sort yeah. of going to go through go for a couple of the things, um, some of my observations. But certainly, when I think back to my experience of um, or my understanding of World War Two, especially in the um, the Pacific Theatre, mm-hmm. it goes back to films with John Wayne in, like sort of the Halls of Montezuma, okay. Iwo Jima, <clears throat> yeah. um, even things like the Thin Red Line. Mm-hmm. Um, Pearl Harbor, yeah. which, <laughs> which yeah, which have, <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there, no. but um, they're all sort of told from a Western perspective that mm-hmm. always demonise sort of the, the Japanese side, and certainly what I picked up on straight away was the emphasis wasn't on necessarily the war. Mm. The war was something that in the film is going on in the background. Yeah. It was the effects of war and sort of the degradation that war has. And I can give you some examples of that yeah. as well. Um, certainly when 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 Sita and Setsuko, when they, when they lose their mother, and sort of digressing slightly, but picking up on a point you just made, you talked about, um, did it do it in a sensitive way? Mm. It did, but also it wasn't afraid to... Um, to bear its punches. No, it was pretty grim because died, it, it starts yeah. off with a, a train station with, with a dead satyr. Yeah. There also, um, we see the, the graphic nature of sort of firebombing na- using napalm mm. as well, uh, and and sort of looking after the well, this ended up deceased mother. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it it does it does do it in a sensitive way. Yeah, it's the optimism and and the love between the, this brother and sister which actually touched me in a way because of sort of you know my relationship with my own sister it was very very hard to watch yeah it's very, I was very talking about that sort of that degradation there and when you think that things are going the right way for them and there's this um, auntie who takes them in mm. and first glance she's she's caring she cooks their food but actually Actually, the sort of the transformative side nature of war yeah. is that people become more selfish yeah. when the pressure is on, and then they end up having to cook their own food. They end up having to go elsewhere. Um, Just on that, because I think as well, the film is very. Because um, I, I think the the director doesn't necessarily. I mean, he's died unfortunately, now, but he didn't necessarily see it as having an anti-war bench to it. It was more about. He was more focused on. Um, unyielding civilians who would just do what their government says. I think, obviously, he was very critical of Japan at the time, fairly imperial, almost pretty much fascist. Um, And he was very clear that he did not want a generation to grow up without remembering that unquestioning authority is a bad thing. Because the auntie, remember, she eventually says things like to them, what are you doing for your country during this war? Why aren't you helping out? And then the camera pans them really powerfully and they're looking at her and one's three and one's seven. And so. this, this alludes all the way back, doesn't it, to like um, sort of feudal J- Japan mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the shoguns yeah. that ruled and this idea that everyone needs to wear, everyone needs to be a warrior. Of course, his father is, is in the Navy yeah. and the auntie often alludes to, you know, you, you will need to go and fight and you don't you want to be a soldier sort of mm. thing. And actually, he's, he's a boy. And the irony being that the bravest thing he can do is what he is doing, which is defending and looking after his... Yeah, his little sister. Um, yeah. In, um, in terms of the... I know what you mentioned about the um, the conflict. I don't know if you noticed at the start. There's, an, there's no real reference to the 
um, Americans in it. The, the film was made deliberately because Japan's had quite a, well, as many nations had a conflicted history. The planes, when they fire a bomb at the start, they don't have any clear discerning symbols on it. The director deliberately made that choice so that it wasn't like a, an anti-American film. Because that's not, I don't, I think you'd probably agree, there's no anti-Americanism in it. It's not really talking about, um, you know, oh, the West were bad and Japan were fine. Or like, as you mentioned, other films that have done the reverse. This film wasn't interested in that really. Yeah. I think it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? It uses innocence as a thing of, these children have no interest in, you know, um, as you mentioned, kind of shogunate Japan or imperial Japan. They've got no interest in imperial America. They're just children who are caught in the middle of those titanic powers clashing. And uh, all the whole film's focus is on pure innocence, which is these guys are just the ones caught in the middle of it. And even even through the animation, sort mm. of... Um, and I was looking into this, into animation, did a little bit of research off okay. the back of this, yeah. and it was like, a picture isn't as hyperbolic, perhaps, as, as a drawing can be, yeah. um, because emotion can be exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And actually, the irony being there that although a lot of their movements, the way they giggle, their their facial features are exaggerated through their drawing. Yeah. This is probably the most real piece of uh, animation that I've ever seen, mm. despite other ones really, really... I mean, we've just been watching A Christmas Carol, an animation, <laughs> and you could barely tell that it was... Yeah, I, well, I said, is that animation? Well, I couldn't yeah, say it, so I couldn't exactly. actually tell it was a live action. So one, I thought it... that, was, that was really clever as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of just other two questions about mm. it, um, A, did you cry? I didn't cry, but I, I have a cold heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and your, do you have any scenes that particularly stick out? Because I know it's odd, because it's not a very long film, it's about an hour and 28 minutes, so it's quite short, but yeah. it doesn't feel that way, that you get a hell of a lot in and you really feel as though at the end of it you've gone through the, the ringer. It's not an easy hour and 28 minutes. Was there any scenes that stuck out to you particularly above any others? Yeah. Um usually to do with Setsuko and her, and her suffering. Yeah. And, and you've already alluded to it once about sort of her, her innocence and that, that's what this is about and sort of the love between them, optimism, humanity. Mm. Um, when she makes, when she makes say to the, the rice balls <laughs> out of yeah, the, the mud, mud. it's yeah. incredibly sad. Yeah. When he tries so hard to get her the food that she don't, so desperately needs and when he turns up and he has the melon and she hasn't the strength. Mm. She hasn't the strength to drink it, yeah. and and again the la- the last thing she actually says before before she passes away is she thanks him. Yeah, and uh, that was really difficult to watch. I I mean, a question anyone wouldn't be emotionally touched. Yeah, touched by that. But the other thing is, and I, I looked into this as well, is that in um, Japanese literature, it um, double suicides are quite a common theme. Mm-hmm. Um, although they didn't commit suicide. Perhaps what he's trying to get at there is that they um they lost the will to live yeah because definitely. of because of war so um, just on that, that the the original um book is by I've got to try and get this right um Akiyuki Nisaka right. so it's a book called Bury of the Fireflies now he is the brother he survived in real life um his sister died and um the the film he allowed um this film to be made I think it was quite cathartic he was quite insistent at the end that his character dies. I think he probably, well, he has admitted he feels a horrendous amount of guilt, as he probably would, because he couldn't get his sister to the end of the war. So um, the film doesn't end the way in which the book does, because he obviously survived it, wrote his autobiography, and mm-hmm. he, he lived through a, you know, a number more decades. But he, I think, was so consumed by guilt that he really wanted that cathartic ending, which I suppose is, is I mean, there are not really many films that 
uh, based on literature where the, the catharsis is that strong that the writer wants to die because they feel that guilty about yeah, yeah. it. Um, my favourite scene is, um, it's almost at the end, so it's that compilation where those richer nobles of Japan or some richer family, they come home, do you remember when the women come home? Yeah. And they're like, oh, look at my house, it's untouched, and they just, they can't wait. They're all hogging, hogging on the stack. Yeah, yeah, they're all happy that they're home. And it plays a piece of music by an Italian um, opera singer called Home Sweet Home. And it's, uh, it's brilliantly transposed because you've got them all happy and home and they're loving it. And then it cuts to where they've been living in the cave and obviously he's on his own now mm-hmm. and I'm about to bury his sister or cremate her. Um, I think it's such a powerful um, contrast because the, the, the little montage is all the things that she did and all the happy bits she did. So she's playing, playing with the fireflies, looking in the reflection in the lake. It's playing this beautiful music whilst you've got the, the kind of the people who are a bit more privileged in a position that they could leave, escape and survive. Yeah. And they're kind of, they've almost forgotten these kids. And I think that's really important because we talk a lot about war and World War Two, World War One, uh, Wars now, obviously yeah. right now in Ukraine, recently in Syria, Yemen. Children are, their stories are almost never told. So we always know about soldiers dying and we know obviously about the home front and how difficult it was. But children who have really nothing to do with any of it, they are the ones whose stories really are, are almost never told. And I thought that was such a powerful way to end that film on that note. It was, and you just refer to the music there as well. And mm. When I listened to the music, it was so it was so gentle yet haunting mm. in a way. It reminded me a little of like sort of Peter and the Wolf. Mm. Um, yeah, you did sort of different orchestral instruments, sort of depicting different things going on, and it, I just thought it was uh, to be cliche. It was a feast for the eyes and for the ears. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think cliches. We'll let cliches absolutely go here. That's absolutely fine. Um, Siskel and Ebert gave it um, one of their great movies. So for um, I can't remember if Gene Siskel still dies. Roger Ebert died. Um, it was inducted into their great movie list. So yep. like one of the Chicago Sun, I think, greatest yep. film review of all time. Would you put this into a fairly high pantheon ranking for your? Um, favorite films or great films you've seen? Not necessarily favorite because I don't think it's any. I don't think you could easily watch it more than two or three times because it's horrendous to <laughs> if, watch. If this was a piece of music or a piece of art, mm. I can you can understand why this is a great piece of in. It's a great piece of art. Yeah. In its in its own in its own right, mm. is it is it my bag? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> but I I watched it. I I got its message. I yeah. totally understood its message mm. and. Um, for, for what it was as a piece of art I was very very impressed with it yeah and would you recommend then for people if yeah. they weren't sure if they hadn't maybe they'd hadn't heard it or they'd heard of it or they knew of it I mean when I first heard of it I didn't know much about it would you say to overcome those initial worries and just give this one yeah and I'm going to sort of um, contradict myself here this is a sort of film that you should watch once and once only yeah I don't think this is a film that you just put on on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> no it's message is so it's so um, so clear mm. that it's almost does it an injustice to watch it more than once. Yeah, I also think it's very bleak. Like I imagine it could have serious emotional impacts to watch it too many times, or the opposite will happen and it just becomes so desensitised that the original meaning is lost anyway. Certainly. Yeah. But um, thank you very much for recommending it. I really enjoyed it. No, any time. Though I'm sure in the future there'll be a couple of others. I've got a couple of other heart wrenchers <laughs> you probably haven't heard of. Marley so. and me. <laughs> Well, that's not a bad film, but I, I think probably Grey of the Fireflies I'd, I'd prefer. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll find you some homework in the future, a couple more films, I hope, and we can expand that repertoire. Um, yes. That was quite heavy, so I have prepared something a bit lighter. Um, I mean, it's a bit shameless ripping off. I know next week you're thinking of doing something musical. I've kind of, I don't say I've ruined it. I've slightly no. preempted it slightly. Yeah. Um, have you ever listened to Desert Island Discs? Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. Well, uh, we'll just boil it down because, for God's sake, otherwise we'll be here for three hours if we have to do all of them. So, what I've done, I've chosen my, and you're going to do the same for me. 
three tracks, if you had to only take three, what would your three music tracks be? Your oh. book, if you had to take a book. Oh. Uh, your top... Um, oh, yeah, no, sorry. Your top book, yeah, and a luxury item. So you've got to take a book, a luxury item, and then your three tracks. They usually give the Bible, don't they? But I'm not interested in that. Are you interested in taking that? No. Okay, we won't take that. But you can have a book of any other sort. Let's say that people shouldn't. Just, I oh, no, no, but I'm just not. I wouldn't take it with me, no. Wow, and you just want me to do that right here. Well, do you like me to go first? I would like you to go okay. first, while I think. So my top three music track, in fact, all of this was easy, apart from my luxury item, but I, I came to a fairly, I say boring conclusion, but whatever. Yeah. My first track, and it's so easy, it's my favourite song of all time, All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. So a cover of Dylan's um, folk classic, but this piece transcends the original. I think it's, there's not many tracks where the cover is better than the original, I don't no. think, but this, I think, is definitely one. Um, in, all the way from its kind of mysterious opening, uh, I mean, Jimmy takes the, the listener on an adventure across space and time, really, with uh-huh. the guitar. The final crescendo is absolutely superfluous. Um, and, I mean, as a track, individually, if there was one track I, I had to listen to every day for the rest of my life and I could never listen to another piece of music, it would be that. Um, I, I think, really, he was just... He's like Mozart with a guitar, for me. I love him. Um, track two is Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Another absolute banger. A, Viet- a Vietnam War song, this one. So an- more of an anti-war anthem. Yeah. Um, some of the lyrics are quite obtrusive, I think. Obviously, it talks a lot about um, you know, some of the horror po- horrible parts of war repeatedly. Mm-hmm. But it does it in, in what you'd expect from the Rolling Stones, a brilliant way. I can't remember the name of the backup singing lady. She does an amazing job, but uh, it's kind of an urban myth. They reckon she gave so much to the track that she miscarried. Um, so she definitely had a miscarriage shortly afterwards. No one's really sure though whether that's an urban myth. Like, did she? Is that what triggered it? But it's always a, that sort of odd story. It has a certain mystique to it. Um, not that it's a pleasant one. No. Uh, and finally, a bit more contemporary. Uh, Karma Police by Radiohead. Uh, I I really love Radiohead. I had this long kind of aversion to listening to anything post Britpop, um, and I know OK Computer ninety seven for Radiohead and Karma Police is such a. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm i say I'm fairly optimistic. You know, as a person, I get a bad rep as being a cynic. I don't think I am. This song, though, is a brilliant um, cynical piece, which I absolutely adore. Um, yeah, so of my top three tracks, I had to take those three. Those are the three I'd take. If I were if I were top ten, I'd take a lot more Jimi Hendrix's, but they are my top three tracks. Okay. And my reasonings for all of them. So I haven't been too in-depth there, I know. Is there, have you, has that given you time to reflect? Uh, definitely have two. Go for and it. I'll have a little think about the third okay. as you go along. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, my top track, would have to be Hotel California. <laughs> oh, yes. Come um, on. Yes. <laughs> That's a banger. That is a banger. Um, and for me, the reason is, a lot, a lot of the music that I like or listen to is because um, it takes me back. Mm-hmm. It takes me somewhere. And I think of this being on a uh, on a tape in, in my dad's Vauxhall Nova. <laughs> And just listening to it back to front, back to front. I could I could sing every single word of every every track on mm. that disc, both mm. sides. What was um, what was it? The Eagles compilations or the yeah, album? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't. I don't think it was the Hotel California album no. I listened to. I think it was the the greatest hits mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Hotel California definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, my second track would be. Uh, Dire Straits Brothers and Arms. <laughs> that was in my top ten. I absolutely love that. Piece yeah. yeah, again, similar sort of to your second song, an anti mm. anti war mm. sort of the futility of war track. Yeah, um, just absolutely uh, stunning, gorgeous guitar, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
My third one, this would be such a toss-up, really. Um, because, obviously, being from Liverpool, it would almost be heresy not to not to name a, a Beatles track. There's, <laughs> lots of, there's lots of Beatles tracks I love. Yeah. But I think I'm going to go a little bit out there with this one. And a song that I... When I listen to my Spotify mm-hmm. and I skip things, there's one song that I'll never, ever skip. Go on. And that's um, The Water Boys Hole the Moon. Okay. Uh, and I just love that track. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. What particularly... is What, what draws you to that one above any others? Um, probably, again, my love for English. And it's the imagery that it, the imagery that it creates. Mm-hmm. I like the beat. I like I like the way they sing it. I'd, I'm certainly no expert on reviewing music. Um, I certainly wouldn't be able to do it off the cuff like this. Hey, hey, but, this um, is going to get the gig at rolling. This so is... This is um, yeah, it takes me back again, sort of, to the 90s. Yeah. And for me, what was it? A much freer, liberating time, I guess, <laughs> as you know, as a child, playing yeah. out in the streets and yeah. going to people's back gardens. We still had street parties, and, and that would be the sort of thing that would be on. What, so, a, li- a liberating time compared to now? Well, and just, just sort of the, sh- the shackles of work and life yeah, and yeah, responsibility, yeah. I guess. Hell, hell on earth, I know that just there's drudge. Yeah. Um, the book for you, can I guess, is it A Christmas Carol? No. Mm. I don't think it would be A Christmas Carol. That's surprising. Does it have to be, does it have to be um, fiction? No, I've, when I'll talk about mine too in a sec, but I've gone for one non-fiction, one fiction. Okay, so if I gave you one of each. Yeah. Uh, I would probably go for The Three Musketeers by Dumas. <laughs> Why? I just, again, just like, one as a child, there was Musketeers cartoons, there was Musketeers films. And yeah, stuff. yeah. Even like, yeah, they and, did a Disney and, one, I think. Yeah, yeah, and just the idea of these sort of heroes, sort of saving France, and just something that evoked something in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always liked it. I like his right. I like the way he writes to Mark. Yeah. Um, what else has he written? Oh, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, he wrote Mamma Dime Mars, that's not him, is it? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. So, but that's that's alluded to in the film as well, isn't it? Yeah. In the film with Leonardo DiCaprio, because mm. he is the man in the Iron Mask, mm. isn't he? Um, and if I had to give you a piece of non-fiction, mm-hmm. it'd be The Man Eaters of Come On by Jim Corbett. Okay, why? Uh, because, again, sort of imperial, imperial India, um, Africa... It's just always been something that's fascinated me. That's why I covered it in, in previous weeks in the topics. Yeah. Um, and a, a guy going out there and taking on man-eating leopards, taking on man-eating tigers and saving communities. His description is fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. And if you haven't read it, even if you don't like the idea of someone going and shooting tigers, it's, it's worth a read. How he um, encapsulates people's fear. Mm. In words is like something I have never I've never written, um, read before. Is he a game hunter in there, or is he just there? To no, he's um. So he he, he's an army officer over there, and he's basically sub subcontracted by the British government to take on man eaters, um. And some of these animals are have like taken two hundred plus people, mm. and the the villagers have just stopped. They can't yeah, do anything. They can't go out. They yeah. are terrified. Yeah. of these animals. Yeah, um. When was that written? Uh, he wrote it. Oh, it's set in sort of the twenties. 
Okay. Um, so it's set. That's when it that's happened. When it this happened. is, yeah. this is yeah. you know, it's all real. Yeah. Um, and the books come from his memoirs, which the, he refers to as jungle stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of different books and lots of different stories about the, the different leopards and the different tigers. And he puts it together, but he had lots of different jobs while he while he was out there. But yeah, the majority of his time was spent trying to find these man man eaters. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. My books, then I've gone for. I mean, my favorite ever piece of fiction, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. When I read it, mm-hmm. um, well, I must have been sixteen. I think I was just starting sixth form, um, and I wasn't a huge reader of fiction. I read fiction when I was really young. And then as I started to really like get into interested in politics, history mm. and stuff like that, I started reading much more non-fiction. Mm. Um, but I was still keen to read some of the classics. And so I did pick up Wuthering Heights. Um, and I, first of all, I really want to be Heathcliff, but in a, in a less <laughs> kind of abusive way. I'd be on the nicer Heathcliff. But he's very, very um, morose, which sometimes I can be. Yeah. Um, and he also gets to live in kind of nice, gentle isolation on some beautiful malls. That would be nice. I'm, I'm, I leave out the, you know, horrendous misogyny and treating his wife badly and, and whatever. Yeah. But, uh, I would certainly be the nice version. But I don't know, again, descriptive-wise, um, it's really odd. I remember reading it so vividly because it, it just felt like I was on those wild, windy moors, as Kate Bush would later refer to them. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I could just be there, you know, with thinking about Kathy and I could think about all those things because it's both a love story and a tragic, um, you know, violence, a lot of tragic violence in it. It is um, such a brilliant piece of gothic... Well, I don't know, your literature, because it's not really a horror, really. It's no. more kind of a, a look at some different differences within society, differences within a very odd, you know, warped love story. Would you say your literature taste tends to have a, a penchant for the, um, for the classics rather than the contemporary? Yeah, but that's probably me being, you know, snob, kind of pretentious. Oh, that's cause, uh, the same. I, can't re- I find it really hard to read um, fiction don't know what, what it is, like 21st century fiction, I just can't get into it. I mean, I've read Game of Thrones, which I know was, is that nine years into noughties? I think so. I've quite loved All the Rings, Tolkien, that was all right. Yeah. Fantasy stuff, I can... Golding, Lord of the Flies? Yeah, that kind of thing, that's all right, yeah. And then I, lo- I read a lot of, um, yeah, still like twenty late 20th century um, fiction is, as well. But is it the same as music? Like, it's so hard to create new greatness because mm. so much ground's being covered. Like, how can anyone write the way Dickens writes? How can anyone write the way, you know, Bron- the Brontes write? It's, it's very difficult to replicate. And I guess it's like you always sort of compare everything to them. Yeah. But then again, you know, obviously I know that, like Bronte, for example, writing in a gothic um, genre. But presumably she was sat there thinking, how on earth am I going to be as good as, you know, the previous people sat hundreds of years before, which many of which that she would have had access to. Yeah. But I don't know, they're, they're probably, I mean, they definitely are great writers today. Oh, for sure. I have no doubt. It's just that I can't, I don't know why. Is it hard it's to do things that are new? Yeah, possibly. But it's, but then again, new things within art is always different anyway. So there's no way to know what's new till it's there because it's, no. it's just pure, it's inspiration, it's genius, isn't it? But I don't know, there's, there's just something I can't quite connect with. I don't know why. I always, it's think, just my I always think like problem. with music. Is there a song that we've heard in the last 10 years that people will listen to in 50 years' time? The way we listen to Presley, the way we listen yeah. to all the great, the Beatles. Mm. Why, why is there such longevity? 
in, in their music. I think that's probably we got that's a whole other podcast because we could talk yeah, about right. the industry and how and you know how the mystique of popular music emerges in the thirties, forties, fifties, and then developed in the sixties when it really reaches its zenith. That's, I think, but not everyone would agree. Let's drop let's back into that. the realms of, of yeah. reality. <clears throat> so, Wuthering Heights would be my fiction choice. Non-fiction would be uh, Professor Olasogo's Black and British. Okay. Um, I read that much more recently, two thousand and eighteen, seventeen, maybe. So I've been teaching a little while. Um, and perhaps unsurprisingly, although certainly selfishly in terms of ignorance, black history wasn't really taught in school. Yeah. I knew little of it. Uh, obviously, knew slavery, and that was pretty much all I knew. Uh, occasional dips in and out. Um, but well, probably football was the most black history I knew, transparently, yeah. until I'd really read this book and started then to look into more and more of it. Um, but it just expanded my mind from my favourite subject in such a, a vast way, almost incalculable, really. Uh, I was blown away by it. Um, I still dip into different chapters of it every now and again, and I've used the further reading that he provides. He's quite, again, a, a popular historian now anyway, and he does a lot of amazing things. But just that, yeah, it was, it was one of those light bulb moments where you think, okay, actually, I know nothing about this, um, and this is my first step into learning a hell of a lot more than what I was previously very ignorant of. So I absolutely love that, uh, that piece of nonfiction. It was, I was blown away by it, really. Okay. Um, gorgeous. Lastly, of design discs, the last thing you get to take is a luxury item. So I'll I'll do my one in case you're not sure what you want, where where to go with it. I would take my PC, uh, purely because a I'm a bit of a gamer anyway, so I can enjoy myself with those. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, um, you know, if you could, I don't know, you probably if you could fashion some sort of router out of I don't know palm trees and coconuts, you could go on the internet. So I would take that. It would just it would entertain me. All so time. the rules of this are: if you have an item, you can have all the sort of accessories that. Yeah, that it works. So like a PC, you could plug in. Yeah. So I think so, that's what the point is. Well, I, I don't think mine's going to be too. Yeah, too exciting. I'd yeah. probably take my phone. Yeah. Just because, again, I'd have access to the internet, but also I'd have me audible, so I could keep myself entertained. Of course. And you could try and call And I'd have a torch. <laughs> yes, of course, that's a good one. Yeah. Which would be it's which built be in, isn't it? Yeah. Important at night time. Absolutely. So I didn't drip yeah. over stuff. Coconuts. Indeed. Et al. Et al. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that. That was quite interesting. I know uh, Desert Island Discs is, uh, is totally uh, an original production, not at all ripped off from anywhere else. But I was just thinking about, because um, I didn't want to do football again. I mean, we, I, I think we probably talk about football until mm. the cows come home, but I was thinking about something slightly different. And I thought that would be a nice link into your, um, yeah. your choice for next week as well. So that's Yeah, so I'm not quite sure where we're going to go with that yet. Mm. So I'm not going to say now. No, but, no. Um, I think we'll, um, so I'll say Chew the cud this week at some point together and and uh, and decide where that's gonna go. But certainly, yeah, maybe having a bit of a, a bit of a debate, a bit of an argument about oh, what's really? what's the best. Um, <laughs> oh God! Maybe we'll go with that. All right, so that's a criteria for you. So I think I'll get thinking. I'll get thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have to do it in this office every week? Yeah. Yeah. This new room. Yeah. I think so. Very, 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 very uh, unorganized. Although there is, it's a. Uh, there's lots of books I've lent you. I see. You need to get on with those. I do, yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, do you need to remind them about the email? Yes, just before we go. Um, two teachers talking six. that's the number six, at gmail.com. I know that there have been uh, an increasing number of listeners. The second episode, I think, has now outstripped the first Whoa. in terms of people listening. <laughs> you always sound so... I can't tell if you're genuinely impressed. Um, so I'm hoping that, that some people might just want to get in touch. Even if you know us personally but you still want us to read something out, you want us to answer a question, or you want us to talk about something, this is the easiest way to do it. Two teachers talking six at gmail.com, and we'll look forward to hearing from you. If you are uh, listening abroad, maybe in the United States, as we have some listeners, where else could we have listeners from? Cuba. 
Could be nice. Yeah. Any yeah. just anywhere, anywhere really. That's a bit more different yeah. than, than just Japan would be good. Oh, to get their view on on the Grey of the Fireflies. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So if you are listening um, abroad, please obviously get in touch and let us know. We'd love to know the the um, the makeup of the audienceship, and we'd like to have it as diverse and international as possible. What a brilliant thing that would be. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you very much this weekend. And thank you for me. And I will see you, uh, well, I'll see you tomorrow, but I'll see you on else uh, next week when we reconvene. Yeah, see you then. See ya.